All right, you can open your Bible if you'd like or navigate to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. One of the big five. We've been taking a look at the seven feasts of the Lord, the appointments He has made with mankind on His divine calendar. We've come to the first of the fall feasts that's called the Feast of Trumpets. Trumpets might not be its best name. I want you to hold that thought for a moment while I give a brief introduction and overview. We're introduced to the Feast of Trumpets in Leviticus chapter 23. There in verse 23 it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Beginning with this, the Fall feasts, the three fall feasts, cover a 21-day period during the Jewish month of Tishri. Tishri 1, the first day of the month, is the Feast of Trumpets we're reading about. The 10th of Tishri is the Day of Atonement. You could see that in verse 27 of Leviticus 23. And then the 15th of that month is the Feast of Tabernacles. That's in verse 34. Tishri came to be called Rosh Hashanah, which we often say is the Jewish New Year. That wasn't the case in biblical times. Here's an overview by a Jewish commentator uh, that it agrees with a lot of uh, modern scholarship. It says, Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year, the day the Hebrew calendar begins, but that wasn't always the case. In fact, the ancient Hebrews probably had no concept of when the year started at all. Nor did they give the months names, the Torah merely enumerating them, the first month, the seventh month, etc. Nowadays, we celebrate Rosh Hashanah on the first day of the fall month of Tishri, but in biblical times, that period was explicitly called the seventh month. During the first temple period, which was the 8th to the uh, mid-6th century BC, the year began in the spring on the first day of Nisan. Also, while listing the holidays, the Bible always starts with the spring holiday of Passover in the seventh month, uh, not in the seventh month, Nisan. And so um, what you're finding as you, when you study these holidays, these feast days, a lot of what you are told happens on these days comes from later practices, second century, third century uh, they're, they're not really derived strictly from the Bible. And so Rosh Hashanah um, is something that has been added to this feast, and they call it the Jewish New Year. None of the biblical texts about this say anything about Tishri beginning the new year. If anything, the fall feasts would end the year cycle since they come at the end of the harvest. <clears throat> the Bible doesn't list any special practices for the holiday, beyond making noise and sacrificing some animals. No specific reason is given for the practices, nor are we told what we are supposed to be uh, celebrating. Trying to draw a conclusion from the lack of information, one commentator said this, It is possible that a deeper significance of the first of Tishri has been lost over time. Alternatively, it is possible that the day was marked by blowing trumpets and messengers going out to the countryside just to remind the Israelites that atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles would be coming. 
and they had that much time to come to Jerusalem with their tithes and sacrifices. So we can accurately say this. What we think we know about the Feast of Trumpets comes mostly from later Jewish practices and not from the Bible. I really like that comment that I just read. The day was marked by blowing trumpets and messengers going out to the countryside just to remind the Israelites that atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles would be coming. Um, I like that because of a very unique feature of the first of Tishri. It was the only feast that began on the first day of a month. And this is significant if you have a lunar calendar. I admit I have a hard time wrapping my head around this because uh, you're going to laugh when I say that because I don't know if you consider math or calendars a math problem. Uh, But they involve numbers and so I just kind of space out. The Jews were on a lunar calendar and so the new moon was extremely important to start the new month. And so when you are having a holiday, a feast day, on the first day of the month, that made things a little bit dicey. One scholar said this, the Hebrew calendar is based upon the lunar cycle, consists of 12 30-day months, with the month officially beginning with the sighting of the first sliver of the new moon. All Jewish holidays always fall on the full moon of the month except one. Tishri, also known as trumpets, is the one holiday that occurs on the first of the month. Before science understood the cycles of the planets and the solar system, the Jews knew that there was a two-day window for the sighting of the new moon. The new month could not officially begin until two witnesses reported to the high priest they had seen the sliver of the new moon. Once the first two sightings were confirmed, the priests would sound the shofar to declare the start of of Tishri. And so you follow what's happening. They, they really didn't, they didn't just turn over uh, the day planner page or go to the next click on their phone. They didn't really know when the month was going to start until they saw the sliver of the new moon. And then they would announce it and say, hey, this is the fir- today is the first day. And that was important if you had to be in Jerusalem 10 days later for the Day of Atonement and 15 days later for the Feast of Tabernacles. And so at the beginning of our time together, I suggested that the Feast of Trumpets might not be the best name for Tishri. Marvin Rosenthal writes, and he says, This designation, Feast of Trumpets, was not applied to this feast till at least the 2nd century A.D., more than 1,500 years after the institution of the holiday. Additionally, this first Feast of Tishri is never called the Feast of Trumpets in the Bible. The title Rosh Hashanah, which the Jews now call the first feast of Tishri, does not occur in Scripture in connection with this feast either. And so this is, you know, we're not denigrating anything. We're just pointing out what the Bible actually says and what it doesn't say. It's never called the Feast of Trumpets. We'll see in a minute that trumpets are sometimes associated with it. And it's never called Rosh Hashanah. That's something that comes later in later Jewish tradition. And so all this is is the first of Tishri when they announce the new moon. It's interesting to notice, too, there are no examples in the Bible of the Jews keeping this feast. They undoubtedly did keep it. I don't say that to act like they didn't keep it. But we have no information about what they actually did on that day other than announce that it was the new moon. It's here that we would ordinarily quote the Jewish historian Josephus. He also said nothing about this feast. And so we're really uh, left only with what the Bible tells us and that little narrow uh, bit of information. 
The first record of it outside of Scripture is in Jewish writings from the second century A.D. So not much is known about this. Now, at the beginning, I suggested trumpets might not, uh, might not be its best name. In some of the places in modern Bibles where you read the word trumpets, you'll see that it's italicized. And that always means that that word isn't in the original text that was translated. It was added by the translators to make the sentence read more clear. But that makes it more of an interpretation then it makes it a translation. And so whenever you see an italicized word in your modern translation, that's something that was added to give the sentence flow or to uh, give a, a better meaning, but it's really a, an interpretation. Young's literal translation of the Bible, as well as footnotes in other translations, makes clear that the Hebrew term has something to do with a shouting uh, or a noise made with the mouth, not necessarily a trumpet. Another commentator said, It is given the traditional name Feast of Trumpets, even though that designation does not occur in the Bible. In fact, there is some question whether teruha means trumpet blast, since it can also mean a war cry or a shout of joy. So the same word that's sometimes translated trumpet blast is translated war cry in Joshua 6.5 and shout of joy in 1 Samuel 4.5. Now, there's a lot of other scholarly language talk, but the gist of it is that trumpets are not the critical element at all. So to call Tishri the Feast of Trumpets is likely a misnomer that emphasizes the wrong aspect of it. Later on in the Jewish celebration in the subsequent centuries, you get into a lot of trumpet blowing. Uh, and um, some of you who do independent research, especially uh, every year around the time of the Feast of Trumpets, because there are people who believe that that's when the rapture is going to take place. There's all these elaborate uh, um, mechanisms that people will tell you were going on during the Feast of Trumpets and how many trumpets were blown the first day and the second day and the third day. And, and that may have, be, have been true historically among the Jews, but none of that information is in the Bible. What, what we're getting from the Bible is just a very little bit of this. Uh, and, and naturally, we're concerned and interested in how these things played out in the life of uh, the Jews and the church, but that's not the same as reading about it in the Bible. Um, people needed to get ready for the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. By get ready, I mean they had to set out for the temple. This was a time that was required for male Jews to visit the temple in Jerusalem. But they couldn't know when those days would occur until the first day of the month of Tishri was announced by shouting and maybe with trumpets. I'm sure, I'm sure they did use trumpets. The Hebrew sources further claim that since they were unsure when Tishri began, there was this idiomatic phrase that people would use around, around the time of the full moon. If they asked the priest... Uh, when is Tishri, he would respond, no man knows the day or the hour. Now, I researched this as much as I could. It seems legit. A lot of sources say that this was a truism, that it was just something that people say. It's like when you ask people, uh, you know, or, or now everybody says, hey, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, you know, and, and, and there's these other phrases that we use, or uh, it's Thanksgiving, they'll be putting out the Christmas decorations pretty soon, you know, that kind of, which actually started in Halloween. Uh, but, you know, and so in, in ancient Israel, 
when they would say, is it Tishri yet? The priest would say, no man knows the day or the hour because it hadn't been announced yet. They hadn't seen the sliver of the new moon and verified it. And so nobody knows when it was going to happen until that. That sounds familiar because Jesus said that once, asked about his coming. He said, but of that day and hour, no, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That's from Matthew 24, 36. That single statement has become synonymous with refuting folks who try to set a date for the rapture of the church. I totally agree that we cannot set a date for the rapture. Jesus' statement in Matthew, however, is not about the rapture. In that verse and in that chapter, Jesus is not talking about the rapture. He's not even talking about the church. He's talking about the future tribulation. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about his second coming at the end of the tribulation to establish his 1,000-year kingdom on the earth. And he says of that, no one knows the day or the hour. Now, that's one reason I believe that Jesus will return in his second coming on Tishri or whatever, of whatever year it is at that time. I believe his use of the phrase, no one knows the day or the hour, would have been understood to be synonymous with Tishri, uh, and the Jews would have understood that. Now, there's a couple of ways of looking at that. You think, well, how can you not know the day or the hour if it's on a particular day? Well, for one thing, um, you don't know when the day is going to be there because it depends on the cycles of the moon. And it's very interesting. We've talked about this before. By the time you get to the end of the Great Tribulation, uh, the, you know, you're in the end of the seventh year, the stellar heavens are decimated. Things have fallen to the earth. There's, the sun has darkened. The moon it looks like blood. Uh, you probably can't tell time by the end of the Tribulation. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody understands how horrifying and ter terrible the Great Tribulation is going to be. Uh, not just to the people of the earth, but to the universe. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that you're not going to be able to know what time it is or what day it is by the time the, the tribulation winds to an end. And so it's a, it's a true statement. No one knows the day or the hour. You, you can kind of think, hey, maybe I've been putting notches here on, on this you know, doorpost. Uh, we should be getting close, but I don't know exactly when the last day of the tribulation. I certainly don't know the hour when Jesus is going to return. But if this other thing is true, if this really is an idiom, for Jesus to say, when they say, hey, when are you coming? He says, no one knows the day or the hour. That's like a clue. That's a big clue that he's coming on the first of Tishri at the end of the tribulation. And I believe that that's what's going on. Now, I have another reason why I think this feast has nothing to do with the rapture, but everything to do with the second coming. In studying the spring feast, we notice that Jesus in his first coming fulfilled them all consecutively on their calendar dates. He died on Nisan 14, just as the Passover lambs were being slain in the temple, fulfilling the feast of Passover. Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so as the lambs were being slain, he was dying on the cross in our place. Jesus then lay in the tomb. Uh, he had lived a, a sin-free, perfect life. Uh, and in the tomb, his body doesn't decay. In fact, it's raised from the dead. And thus he fulfilled, we saw, the feast of unleavened bread. 
And then Jesus rose on Nisan 17, which was a Sunday, fulfilling the feast of first fruits. He was the first fruits of those who would rise after him uh, to everlasting life. And then 50 days later was the Feast of Pentecost, fulfilled by Jesus when the promise of the Father, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, was given. Now, since Jesus fulfilled the four, uh, the four spring feasts in immediate calendar order, it's most likely he will do the same thing regarding the three fall feasts. In fact, scholars call this a temporal parallel. That's just a kind of a technical word to say that uh, what he did in the, fall, in the spring, he's going to do in the fall as a temporal or time parallel. They parallel each other. The temporal parallel with the fall feast is this, and I'm quoting now. Since the three fall feasts, Tishri, Atonement, and Tabernacles, occur during the month of Tishri, we are better able to argue our case that just as the four spring feasts follow the traditional Jewish sequence, the three fall feasts will do the same. Expect the three fall feasts to occur on Tishri 1, 10, and 15, just as God determined in Leviticus 23, the three fall feasts cover a 21-day period during that month. So it doesn't make sense that Tishri would be fulfilled by the rapture, and then you wait seven years for the tribulation to end for the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles to be fulfilled. That's simply what we're saying. So Jesus came, he fulfilled all the four spring feasts, bam, 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 right in order. But some people would have you say, well, trumpets is about the rapture, because after all, there's a trumpet blast when there's the rapture. So the church is going to be raptured, and that's going to fulfill the Feast of Trumpets. And then seven years later, when Jesus comes back, the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles. And that doesn't seem to parallel what Jesus did the first time. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't mean it can't happen that way, but most likely it's not going to. And so uh, I think that there will be this temporal parallel and that when Jesus returns on Tishri, then he will get immediately into the atonement 10 days later and the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll see what the atonement is next time we're together. Tabernacles, of course, is the kingdom of God on earth when God is tabernacling with men. And so these feasts, these fall feasts, are fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus Christ they have nothing to do with the rapture of the church whatsoever. A third reason why we can say that the rapture has nothing to do with Tishri is that it's presented in the Bible as being imminent. An imminent event can't simultaneously be scheduled to happen on a particular date only once a year. And so you understand that people who say that the rapture is going to take place at the Feast of Trumpets are saying that you can only be raptured once a year when it's the Feast of Trumpets. And if that's the case, then it can't be an imminent rapture. It can only take place then. And so this year, in September, when the Feast of Trumpets was over, I can go back to my sinful lifestyle for another part of the year because I know that the Lord isn't coming. And I'm exaggerating, of course, but that's actually how a lot of people think. And so the rapture, it's an imminent event. It could happen right now, before we're done tonight. It could happen tomorrow. Uh, it could happen on the Feast of uh, uh, Trumpets on Tishri, but it doesn't have to because it's imminent. Uh, we noted also there's a long interval between the spring feasts and the fall feasts. It's about four months during which the harvest is gathered in. That interval typifies the present dispensation in which the gospel 
is going out into all the world, and Jesus is building his church, and during which Israel is scattered among the nations. When this present dispensation has run its course, the fullness of the Gentiles has been gathered, along with the remnant according to the election of grace of Israel. In other words, all the Gentiles and Jews that are going to be saved and comprise the church. Then Israel is going to be gathered back from the four corners of the earth at the end of the Great Tribulation, at the second coming of Jesus, which is probably on Tishri, followed by the Day of Atonement, and then Jesus tabernacling with mankind for a thousand years in the kingdom of earth, uh, uh, kingdom of God on the earth. And so it's an amazing thing. These feasts, uh, God's calendar feasts, they tell the story of redemption. They are prophetic. And, um, and Jesus has us dialed in. He says, hey, nobody knows the day or the hour. And you guys know what that means. That means we're thinking Tishri. So I'm coming back, and when I do, I will fulfill those feasts. And you remember, this is a kind of a sneak peek, but you remember when uh, the disciples were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they saw him in his glory for a moment, and Moses and Elijah in glory with him. What did they want to do? They wanted to build three booths, one for Jesus and one for Moses and one for Elijah, three tabernacles, because they saw that as the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles when God would dwell among men. And so Jesus is definitely going to fulfill that feast, definitely going to fulfill atonement, definitely going to fulfill Tishri, and he's going to do it all at once in his second coming. Amen?